This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Flowing Spiritual Strength. In the first half, James E. Faust shares his address, Personal Epiphanies. Then in the second half, Stephen L. Shumway speaks on Keeping the Spiritual Lifeblood Flowing. My young brothers and sisters, as I contemplate your great future, your wonderful potential, as well as your acute challenges, I am humbled with the responsibility of speaking to you. Being somewhat closer to the eternities than you are, I have chosen to introduce you to concepts that may be new to some of you. I do so in the spirit of the song from Mary Poppins, A Spoonful of Sugar Helps the Medicine Go Down. (laughs) I wish to emphasize a profoundly significant phenomenon which occurs in this life. It is inspiration. I also want to introduce you to the word epiphany. In the Christian tradition, Epiphany is the twelfth night of Christmas, usually January 6th. It celebrates the revelation of Jesus the Christ to the Gentiles, the Magi at Bethlehem. We do not celebrate the day of Epiphany, and it is not part of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. However, the word epiphany has another meaning. The appearance of or manifestation from God or a supernatural being. It is also described as a phenomenon which occurs with and seems to result in another. Writer James Joyce used the word epiphany to designate an event in which the essential nature of something, a person, a situation, an object, was suddenly perceived. It is thus an intuitive grasp of reality achieved in a quick flash of recognition in which something usually simple and commonplace is seen in a new light. In our understanding, this can be inspiration. To be able to perceive by inspiration the common and ordinary things of life in their true meaning is a great blessing. We heard of an example of this from a woman who had just adopted a new baby. In her joy, she said, I now have two hearts. Mothers seem to have as many hearts as they have children. Tonight, however, I wish to speak of a few uncommon, remarkable spiritual events that have occurred throughout history. The First Presidency recognized that many historical figures and events were inspired by God. They wrote, The great religious leaders of the world, such as Mohammed, Confucius, and the Reformers, as well as philosophers including Socrates, Plato, and others, received a portion of God's light. 
moral truths were given to them by God to enlighten whole nations and to bring to a higher level of understanding to individuals. The Hebrew prophets prepared the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, who should provide salvation for all mankind who believe in the gospel. End of quote. Spiritual intuition has its roots in the Garden of Eden. Mother Eve was caught in a dilemma. She could either avoid partaking of the forbidden fruit and stay in the Garden of Eden, or she could partake of the fruit and have a mortal existence and become the mother of the human race. After Adam and Eve had achieved mortality, Eve stated, Were it not for our transgression, we never should have had seed and never should have known good and evil and the joy of our redemption and the eternal life which God giveth unto all the obedient. Interestingly, these personal epiphanies often come to young people. In secular history, we read of Joan of Arc, a simple peasant girl who could neither read nor write. She claimed visions from heaven directing her to liberate her oppressed country, France, from the English. At 17, she left her home to fulfill those visions. At first, people laughed and declared her insane, but in the end, they gave her a horse and the escort of a few men to go and see the king. Young King Charles VII of France lived in a castle in Chinon. The long hundred years' war with the English had impoverished and divided his country. Charles had heard about Joan and decided to test her. He slipped into the ranks of the army and let one of his trusted associates occupy the throne. When Joan came into the room, she barely acknowledged the man on the throne, but walked up to Charles and curtsied to him as the king. That convinced the king, and he gave her command over his 12,000 troops. At first, the French soldiers did not want to obey her, but when they saw that all succeeded who followed her, and no one succeeded who disregarded her, they got into line and looked upon her as their leader. Clad in a suit of white armor and flying her own standard, Joan of Arc liberated the besieged city of Orleans in 1429 and defeated the English in four other battles. Twice she was wounded, but each time she recovered and went on fighting. Her orders were those of a military genius. She marched into the city of Reims and stood with sword and banner in hand while Charles was crowned king. She fought in the Battle of Paris until the Burgundians, who were allies of the English, captured her at Compiègne and sold her to the English for 16,000 francs. She was imprisoned and suffered many insults. She was tried as a witch and a heretic and burned at the stake in 1431, all because she claimed inspiration.
Another example drawn from sacred history is the prophet Samuel. As a boy, he had retired to sleep in the temple where the ark of God was. He heard the voice of the Lord calling, and he ran to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. Eli assured him that he had not called him and told him to go back to sleep. The Lord again called Samuel. Samuel arose again and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. Eli again told him, I called not my son, lie down again. The remarkable thing about this story is in the next verse. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Many of you, my dear young brothers and sisters, do not yet know the Lord, nor is the word of the Lord revealed to you. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel went to Eli, not recognizing the voice of the Lord. Eli perceived that the Lord had called a child. He instructed Samuel to lie down again, and if the Lord spoke to him another time, he should say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. My dear young friends, there is a profound lesson in this. We are to come to know the Lord so that when he speaks to us, we can answer, Speak, for thy servant heareth. This is one of the greatest blessings in mortality. My first radio set was a crystal set. It was hard to tune in to the frequency of a particular radio station. One had to literally scratch the receiving wire whisker over the top of the rough crystal to find the right pinpoint, a little valley or a peak on the crystal where the signal was received. Just a millimeter off on one side or the other that point, and you would lose the signal and get scratchy static. Over time, with patience and perseverance, good eyesight and a steady hand, you could learn to find the signal point on the crystal without too much difficulty. So it is in learning to attune ourselves to the inspiration from God and tune out the scratchy static. We have to work at being tuned in. Most of us need a long time to become tuned in most of the time. When I was a young general authority, President Marion G. Romney, who was in his 70s at the time, told us, I know when I am working under the Spirit and when I am not. To be able to recognize when one is being guided by the Spirit is a supernal gift. President Wilfred Woodruff had a remarkable experience of being moved upon by the Spirit. He recounted, when I got back to winter quarters from the pioneer journey, 
1847, President Young said to me, Brother Woodruff, I want you to take your wife and children and go to Boston and stay there until you can gather every saint of God in New England and Canada and send them up to Zion. I did as he told me. It took me two years to gather up everybody. And I brought up the rear with a company. There were about a hundred of them. We arrived at Pittsburgh one day at sundown. We did not want to stay there, so we went to the first steamboat that was going to leave. I saw the captain and engaged passage for us on that steamer. I had only just done so when the Spirit said to me, and that too very strongly, don't go aboard that steamer, nor your company. Of course, I went and spoke to the captain, and he told me, and I told him that I had made up my mind to wait. Well, that ship started, and had only gone five miles down the river when it took fire, and 300 persons were burned to death or drowned. President Woodruff continued, If I had not obeyed that spirit and gone on that steamer with the rest of the company, you can see what the result would have been. Many of us remember President Hubie Brown telling of a personal epiphany which he had in World War I. At that time, he owned a farm in Canada. One morning, he went out to prune a currant bush, which had grown all to wood, and no longer blossomed or produced currants. So he got his pruning shears and cut it and pruned it and clipped it back until there was nothing left but the stumps. President Brown said he imagined that if the current bush could speak, it would say, How could you do this to me? I was making such wonderful growth. I was almost as big as a shade tree and the fruit tree that are inside the fence. Now you've cut me down. President Brown answered, Look, little current bush, I am the gardener here and I know what I want you to be. I didn't intend you to be a fruit tree or a shade tree. I want you to be a currant bush. Someday, little currant bush, when you are laden with fruit, you're going to say, Thank you, Mr. Gardener, for loving me enough to cut me down, for caring enough about me to hurt me. Thank you, Mr. Gardener. President Brown then explains that when World War I came, he was in England in command of a cavalry unit at the Canadian Army. He was a field officer and being considered for promotion to general in the British Army. He was ordered to appear one morning in the Canadian Forces Commanding General's office. His uniform was pressed and his buttons polished and his boots shining. President Brown recalls, I walked smartly into the office of the general, and I saluted him smartly. And he gave me the kind of salute a senior officer usually gives, sort of, get out of the way, worm. 
He then advised President Brown that he was not going to be appointed a general, even though he had passed the examinations and had the seniority and was a good officer. He was being sent back to Canada to become a training officer and a transport officer. As the general slipped out of the room to answer a telephone, President Brown noticed on the general's desk his personal history sheet. Across the bottom, in bold block type letters, was written, This man is a Mormon. The general came back, dismissed President Brown, and President Brown went away with a broken heart and bitterness in his soul and a feeling of failure and disappointment. When he got back to his tent, he clenched his fists and shook them to heaven and said, How could you do this to me, God? I have done everything I could to measure up. There is nothing that I could have done that I should have done that I haven't done. How could you do this to me? I was bitter as gall. Then I heard a voice, <clears throat> and I recognized the tone of the voice. It was my own voice, and the voice said, I am the gardener here. I know what I want you to be. The bitterness went out of my soul, and I fell on my knees by the cot and asked forgiveness for my ungratefulness and my bitterness. End of quote. President Brown would have been the senior military officer in all Western Canada with security and a good income, and he would have had to raise his daughters and two sons in army barracks. He comments that they probably would have married out of the church and not amounted to anything. President Brown concludes this remarkable story by saying, that when we are overcome with disappointment and heartbreak and defeat, we should remember God is the gardener here. He knows what he wants you to be. Submit yourselves to his will and be worthy of his blessings, and you will get his blessings. I'm sure most of us feel like the current bush at some time or another. But as we look back on some of the bumps of life, we can see how they have shaped us and helped us to develop. I have been privileged to live in a time of the greatest accumulation of knowledge in the world's history. I remember as a boy on the farm when we lit the coal oil lamps after dark to light the house. Wood was the only source of heat for all of our cooking and warmth. When I was eight years old, I learned to drive a team of horses. This was much more difficult than driving a car. Sometimes one horse wouldn't pull. You all missed a lot not living at the time of the Model T Fords. If the Model T got hot enough, it would just keep going with spontaneous combustion when you turned off the ignition key. If the hill was too steep to go up frontward, you turned around and backed it up because it seemed to have more power in reverse. <laughs> the first ones had to be hand-cranked in the summer and in the winter because they had no starters. 
The medical doctors fixed a lot of broken arms because the Model T would backfire when men and women tried to start it with a hand crank. Looking back, it doesn't seem like there was much mechanical inspiration in a Model T Ford. (laughs) But then they only cost $290 new when mass-produced. You are the beneficiaries of all the advances in science, medicine, travel space, technology, communication, agriculture, entertainment, and all the other fields of knowledge God has revealed to mankind. All of this knowledge ought to be used for the blessing of mankind. It permits the work of the Lord to advance. For instance, jet airplanes permit general authorities area authorities and auxiliary leaders to visit stakes all over the world for teaching and training. I learned as a young aide that inspiration can come to any of us. When I was in junior high school, I was taking a difficult class. Most of what was being taught went over my head. Perhaps I was not trying hard enough. The teacher asked me something. I didn't understand the question, let alone the answer. Right out of nowhere, a response came into my mind, which I repeated to the teacher. To my great surprise, it was the right answer. (laughs) But I knew it had not come from me. So, how can we recognize inspiration when it comes? Enos stated, While I was thus struggling in the spirit, behold, the voice of the Lord came into my mind. The voice is not necessarily audible. The spirit of revelation comes by divine confirmation. I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. How did the voice of the Lord sound to Elijah the Tishbite? It was not the strong wind which rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks, nor was it an earthquake, nor a fire. Elijah describes it as a still, small voice. It is that inner voice, the Spirit, which has the power to whisper through and pierce all things. In the words of Helaman, it was not a voice of thunder, neither was it a voice of great tumultuous noise. But behold, it was a still voice of perfect mildness, as if it had been a whisper, and it did pierce even to the very soul. We believe that all righteous people have the potential to receive inspiration from God. Many of the great masterpieces of music, art, poetry, and other creations of beauty testify to this. Handel's glorious oratorio, The Messiah, is proof of this. Michelangelo's statues of the Pieta, Moses, and David also testify of this. Surely the poet William Wordsworth was inspired when he wrote odes 
imitations of immortality from recollections from early childhood. The same is true of the inventors who have been inspired to bring us all the marvelous inventions of our time. We believe the Spirit of God can come to all men and all women. But this is in distinction to the gift of the Holy Ghost. Administrations of the Holy Ghost are limited without receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. The prophet Joseph Smith taught, There is a difference between the Holy Ghost and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Many outside the church have received revelation from the Holy Ghost, convincing them of the truth of the gospel. It is through this power that sincere investigators, after the truth, acquire a testimony of the Book of Mormon and the principles of the gospel before baptism. However, those possessing the gift of the Holy Ghost can come to greater light and testimony. The Holy Ghost bears witness of the truth and impresses upon the soul the reality of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, so deeply that no earthly power can separate him or her from that knowledge. Indeed, not having the gift of the Holy Ghost is somewhat like having a body without a spiritual immune system. The first vision of Joseph Smith is the most remarkable epiphany in the history of the world. We are all familiar with the Prophet Joseph's story. He retired to the sacred grove to inquire of the Lord as to which religion was correct. He was seized by a power which completely overcame him and bound his tongue so that he could not speak. He wrote, a thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. Then, calling forth all the spiritual power he had, he asked God to deliver him from this power of darkness. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. Now here is the significant account. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved Son, hear him. In the history of mankind, few indeed have been privileged to see God or him hear him directly. Yet the gifts of the Spirit since the restoration of the gospel had been rich in the church and exists today among the faithful members of the church. My dear young friends, as Samuel was told, for those of you who do not yet know the Lord 
and to whom the word of the Lord has not yet been revealed, please open your spiritual ears and eyes. Tune your hearts and souls, as I had to do on my old crystal radio set, to the exact spot in your soul where the spiritual signals are coming through. In doing so, you will be able to perceive the simple, ordinary things of life in a marvelous new light. You will have remarkable spiritual insight. To do this, you will have to pray fervently with a clean mind and a humble heart. You will need to earnestly try to keep all of the commandments. You will need to be in harmony with the leadership of your church, from your bishop and stake president to the first presidency. If you can learn to hear the whisperings of the Spirit and be guided by your spiritual leaders, you will avoid many of the pitfalls and heartaches of the world. You will have a comforting feeling of your great worth as a choice son or daughter of God. To this end I bless you. Mine is the sure witness that God lives and that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior and Redeemer of the world. All of this I testify with all my soul. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Flowing Spiritual Strength. We've just heard from James E. Faust. After the break, we'll return with Stephen L. Shumway for Keeping the Spiritual Lifeblood Flowing. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Flowing Spiritual Strength. Next is Stephen L. Shumway, Professor of BYU Technology and Engineering Studies Program at the time of this address, titled Keeping the Spiritual Lifeblood Flowing. Not too many years ago, as an undergraduate student at BYU, I was attending these devotionals with a wonderful young lady I had met in a BYU student ward. Through some investigation, I learned that on certain days when I was finishing a physics class in the Iring Science Center, this young lady was also finishing a class in the Spencer W. Kimball Tower. I was careful to make sure that each week we would coincidentally meet on the sidewalk of the intersection of these two buildings so that we could attend devotionals together or walk to the Wilkinson Center to have lunch. This young lady and I have now been married for 33 years. My wife Joyce and I are happy to be here today and to share this brief time with you. I hope that what I say today might be meaningful and uplifting, and I appreciate the prayer and music which have invited the Spirit to be with us. When I was first considering what topic I might address for this devotional, I was walking home from the priesthood session of our last general conference, reflecting on my impressions of our new prophet, President Russell M. Nelson. Everything from the way President Nelson approached the stand to the manner and tone in which he delivered his messages to the new directions that were presented to the general membership regarding priesthood quorums and a reemphasis on ministering in the Savior's way caused me to reflect on my service in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I determined that in order to keep up in terms of the gospel, I was going to need to roll up my sleeves and rededicate myself to the work. Early retirement didn't seem to be an option. Indeed, if I needed to lengthen my stride to accept President Kimball's challenge as a young man in the 1970s, I would now need to quicken my pace to be able to follow President Nelson's counsel as an adult. President Nelson's comment during the Sunday morning session of the April 2018 General Conference was especially poignant to me. He said, and I quote, In the coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. Surviving spiritually and having the constant influence of the Holy Ghost are the two main topics I would like to emphasize in the remaining time we have together. To introduce my talk and to provide a context for our discussion today, I would like to tell you a story about when I was 10 or 11 years old. Now, I was raised on a cattle ranch in northwestern Wyoming in an area that is referred to as the Bighorn Basin between the communities of Cody and Thermopolis. Each spring on the ranch, after the baby calves were born, we would round up our cattle and take them to a pasture area in the mountains behind my grandfather's place. In this particular year, we had already taken the cattle to the mountains when a late spring snowstorm came, bringing freezing temperatures and large snowdrifts. Because of the danger to the cattle, especially the baby calves, my father suggested that we saddle our horses and ride up to the mountain rangeland to bring the cattle to a lower pasture area. Now, to put it mildly, I was honored to be considered old enough for this opportunity, and the thought of spending the day riding horses with my father gathering the cattle was exciting. We saddled the horses and left the home place mid-morning, blazing a trail through the newly fallen snow. We had a great day riding and talking about life, work, and the gospel. As a side note, my father served his mission in Tennessee and West Virginia and knew all the questions that missionaries would get on their mission. So as we would ride, he would ask me gospel questions and help me with my answers. I guess this was my version of a mission prep course. So we rode most of the day looking for our cattle, but unfortunately we were not able to locate them until late in the afternoon. By this time, the sun was going down and the temperature was dropping dramatically. Because of the baby calves, the going was slow, and to make matters worse, a big windstorm came in blowing snow and making it difficult to see where we were going. I was sure we were lost. It continued to get colder, and because there was no moon, it became pitch black, so I just put my horse behind my father's horse and followed him, trusting that he knew the way home. As we were riding, my father suddenly stopped his horse and he turned to me. And what he said totally caught me by surprise and made me very concerned. He said, Steve, you need to get off your horse right now. We need to start walking. Now, I thought to myself, how are we ever going to get home if we're walking our horses rather than riding them? This did not seem like such a good idea to me. However, I was obedient and got off my horse without arguing. It was then that I realized my blood circulation to my feet had slowed considerably and my feet were partially frozen so that I could not feel them. 
From his past experiences of riding horses in bad weather, my father knew this would happen. He said that we would have to walk behind our horses for some time in order to get the blood circulating in our feet again. When I got off my horse, I could barely stand. Leading my horse by the bridle, I held onto the tail of my father's horse as we started walking slowly toward home, trailing the cattle. As I began walking, I began to feel my feet again. At first, as the blood started to flow, it was very painful. However, soon I was warm and my feet were all right, and the feeling had come back to them. Now, after these many years, the concept that has left a lasting impression with me is that when my feet were frozen, walking was the last thing I wanted to do because it was so painful. However, in reality, it was the very thing I needed to do in order to renew the flow of blood to my feet and be able to return back to normal activity. Again, the thing I wanted to do the least was actually the thing I needed to do the most to save myself from harm. Now, throughout my life, this has been a reoccurring theme. There have been times when I have not felt like praying but prayer was exactly what I needed. There have been times when I have not felt like attending specific church meetings, only to discover that the counsel given in those meetings was exactly what I needed to hear. I have also had specific church callings that I have not felt capable of successfully performing. Fortunately, I have a loving Heavenly Father who knows what I need better than I do myself and has provided me with opportunities to serve and grow spiritually. Now, brothers and sisters, I ask you to reflect on this concept as I speak today. I would guess that there have been and will continue to be times in each of our lives in which we need to make difficult decisions in order to save ourselves emotionally, physically, and spiritually. The analogy that I would like to make from the story that I've told to each of our lives is that maintaining the constant influence of the Holy Ghost is the lifeblood of our spiritual strength, and that there are specific decisions and actions that we will need to make in order to survive spiritually when it is stormy. When the weather was nice and sunny, my blood circulation was adequate with minimal effort on my part as I rode my horse. It was specifically during the storm that I needed the extra benefits of circulation. To me, this follows President Nelson's warning that in the coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the constant influence of the Holy Ghost. Now, we know that wickedness in the world is increasing, and there is a storm raging around us and our families that will most likely become worse. The question that I would like to present to all of us today is, how can we keep our spiritual lifeblood flowing so that we will have the strength and the ability to continue our journey to return again to be with the Savior and our Heavenly Father? I feel that the sisters and brethren who have been called to lead the Church of Jesus Christ in these latter days have also been considering this question on our behalf. In addition to their continued counsel to sustain scripture study, to engage in personal prayer, strengthen family unity, and to attend church meetings and the temple, 
They have recently reemphasized that providing service to our fellow brothers and sisters or ministering in the Savior's way is one of the best ways to spiritually strengthen ourselves. In the recent General Conference, President Henry B. Eyring topped the priesthood brother in this concept when he commented, It seems to me that we receive the Holy Spirit best when we are focused on serving others. That is why we have the priesthood responsibility to serve for the Savior. When we are engaged in service to others, we think less about ourselves, and the Holy Ghost can more readily come to us and help us in our lifelong quest to have the gift of charity bestowed upon us. Now, while the concept of serving others and ministering is not new, the recent emphasis on ministering presented during General Conference has a refreshing and underlying tone that allows for more active personal participation as on our part as disciples of Christ. Additionally, while the obvious outcome of service is to help and comfort those with whom we associate, perhaps just as important is the idea that we need the benefits of actively serving those around us, and that perhaps ministering will provide us with the spiritual strength that will be needed in the increasingly difficult times we know are coming. So how can we more actively serve one another? What is ministering in the Savior's way? During his recent devotional on April 10th on this campus, Elder Neil L. Anderson taught us that a holier approach to ministering contains several key components. First, as disciples of Christ, our lives are not all about us. Rather, we should focus on providing service to those around us, including family, friends, and even strangers. Reading the stories of Jesus from the New Testament provides examples from when He served His family, such as when He honored and served His mother at the wedding feast when He turned the water to wine, or His friends, such as the healing and raising of His friend Lazarus, and even strangers, which includes my personal favorite story in the scriptures of when the Savior healed the servant of the centurion. Second, Elder Anderson taught that when we engage in service, we should include some spiritual component that helps those we serve strengthen their faith and come closer to the Savior. For me, this spiritual component of service is one that I need to improve on. Now, I feel confident in my ability to fix a car, perform yard work, help neighbors move, and do service in general. However, adding that spiritual component is going to require a little more thought, effort, harmony with the Spirit, and willingness to form a personal connection with those I serve. Now, while I am confident that serving my family, my friends, and strangers is something that I need to do to maintain spiritual strength, I still ask myself, how am I going to follow, follow James's advice in the New Testament when he counseled, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I need to tell you that as a young man, when I read that scripture in seminary, that's one of those scriptures that you read and it sticks with you. How am I going to be a, a doer of the word? Now, Elder Dieter F. Utdorf helped me better frame my resolve to be a doer and not a hearer only when he remarked during the April 2009 General Conference that discipleship is not a spectator sport. 
We cannot expect to experience the blessings of faith by standing inactive on the sidelines any more than we can experience the benefits of health by sitting on a sofa watching sporting events on television and giving advice to the athletes. Okay? Can't you hear him say that? Okay. For example, it might be natural for us to have times in our lives when we want to coast a little and take an easier route when it comes to general service and church responsibilities. For example, maybe we have just finished serving in a major calling in our ward or as a full-time missionary, and we feel that we now deserve to be able to slow down just a little bit and take a break from service. Or maybe we are college students and our lives are busy with the rigors of working and studying, and we feel that we can justify wanting to take it easy for the time being So we promise ourselves that we will actively focus on serving and ministering when we graduate. Or maybe we have a new job and a young family and we feel that we need to put service temporarily on hold so that we can focus on employment while we get our feet under ourselves. Now, while those feelings may be natural in terms of world philosophy, we learn in the scriptures that the ways of the natural man are not the Lord's ways. Remember in my story how walking was the last thing I wanted to do when, in fact, it was the thing I needed to do the most. I believe that sometimes when we perceive that we are too busy or feel that we are not ready or that we do not want to be involved in service to others, this is, in fact, the time we need to do these things the most. I've spent much of my life searching the scriptures, and as far as I can tell, there is no retirement in the Lord's system. For those who have recently returned from missions, I would encourage each of you to fill your lives with active service, and I promise you that your lives will be blessed and that your ability to make important decisions in this critical time of your life will be enhanced through serving others. Although the signs at the entrance of this campus encourage each of us to enter, to learn, and go forth to serve, perhaps we can unofficially Modify the motto to say, enter to learn, serve while you're learning, and then go forth to serve the world. Students, the impact that each of you will have as you leave this university and go to different places in the world is incredible. Every year during the graduation ceremonies, I look out on the sea of graduating students and reflect on the impact that each of you are going to have on your communities and local church congregations as you take your secular and spiritual knowledge with you to bless the lives of others. In his recent BYU commencement address in April, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland recommended to the graduates, he said, quote, So go out there and light a candle, be a ray of light, be your best self, and let your character shine. Cherish the gospel of Jesus Christ and live it. The world needs you, and surely your Father in heaven needs you if His blessed purposes for His children are to prevail. You have entered to learn. Now go forth to serve and strengthen. All of us need to reflect on how when we are in the service of our fellow man, we are only in the service of our God. The greatest gift we can give to the Savior is to love and serve one another. Now, in recommending this counsel, I would also like to endorse the advice found in Doctrine and Covenants 10.4, in which the Lord counseled Joseph Smith 
Do not run faster or labor more than you have strength and means, but be diligent unto the end. Remember, when I needed additional blood circulation, I got off my horse and walked slowly to build stamina. I did not suddenly decide to run or even to carry my horse. Each of us needs to maintain a careful balance in the amount of ministering and service that we give. And how much service or what we do to serve others can best be determined through personal inspiration and revelation that we receive from the Savior. Now, thus far in my talk, I propose that serving our fellow brothers and sisters is an effective way to keep the spiritual lifeblood flowing that is necessary to increase our ability to return to live with our Heavenly Father. I would like to finish my talk today by discussing what we can do if we find ourselves in situations in which, because of choices we have made or because of the influence of the world, we find ourselves spiritually frozen. And with feelings of hopelessness about our ability to regain the companionship of the Holy Ghost. We know from the scriptures that in the pre mortal existence we all attended the Grand Council in heaven, in which we learned about Heavenly Father's plan for our salvation. We know that we shouted for joy at the prospect of coming to this earth. We also learned that many of us would be deceived choose poor paths and become lost, and that all of us would have trials, but that these trials would be for our own good. In our lives, there are many destructive influences such as alcohol and drugs, pornography, smoking, immorality, lax church attendance, and even excessive gaming that Satan can use to deceive us. While it would seem that the obvious choice is to avoid these destructive influences in our lives, we do not always make the obvious choice. If we persist in our poor choices, they can lead to addictions and a perceived loss of agency until it would seem it is impossible for us to overcome these destructive influences or to remove them from our lives. Slowly, the Spirit refuses to dwell with us, and in a sense, we become spiritually frozen. At this point, repenting and cleansing our lives can feel like the last thing we would like to do when in fact it is the very thing we need to do the most. Fortunately, nothing is impossible with the Savior, and through the Atonement of Jesus Christ, we can always repent and cleanse our lives and have hope of regaining the companionship of the Holy Spirit. My favorite example of this feeling of hope is found in the experience of Alma the Younger in the Book of Mormon. Because of his disobedience and persecution of the Church of God, Alma, along with the sons of Mosiah, were visited by an angel who chastised him for seeking to destroy the Church of God. The seriousness of this visit caused Alma and his companions to fall to the earth in distress and hopelessness. Alma described his feelings in verses 12 and 13 of Alma chapter 36 when he related, But I was racked with eternal torment, for my soul was harrowed up to the greatest degree and racked with all my sins. Yea, I did remember all my sins and iniquities for which I was tormented with the pains of hell. Yea, I saw that I had rebelled against my God and that I had not kept his holy commandments. If we continue reading in verses 17 through 21, we learn that Alma the Younger was in the gall of despair. And just when it seemed that it would be impossible for him to repent, his thoughts 
were led by the Spirit back to what his father had taught him about the Savior and the Atonement, and he was delivered from his despair. The miracle is that even though we might be spiritually frozen, as children of a loving Heavenly Father, we are still allowed to partake in the influence of the Holy Spirit to help us come back to the Savior. He never gives up on us. If we listen to the Spirit, repent, and allow Him to become part of our lives through the power of the Atonement, if we get off the horse and we walk for a while, the circulation of the Spirit will once again begin to flow. In Alma's words to his son Helaman found in verse 21 of chapter 36, he said, Yea, I say unto you, my son, that there could be nothing so exquisite and so bitter as were my pains. Yea, and again I say unto you, my son, that on the other hand there can be nothing so exquisite and sweet as was my joy. I finish with my testimony that I know that we are children of a loving Heavenly Father. I know that His Son, Jesus Christ, promised His Father and each one of us in the premortal existence that He would come to this earth and through His Atonement make it possible for us to return to live with our Heavenly Father. In addition, Heavenly Father has provided the companionship and influence of the Holy Ghost in our lives to help us in our efforts to return to live with Him. By keeping the commandments and serving each other, we can have the constant influence of the Holy Ghost to strengthen us spiritually, as our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, has counseled. This I say in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Flowing Spiritual Strength with thoughts from James E. Faust and Stephen L. Shumway. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.